Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Welcome to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is your graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your associate professor co-host, Katie Gordon. How are you doing, Katie? I haven't heard from you or talked to you in like a month because, (laughs) of course, we don't talk outside of the podcast. No, just (laughs) kidding, of course. Um, I'm good. I'm excited to podcast, but I also feel rusty. But we have been away for weeks, which I tweeted a little bit about, but between illness we you were both sick yeah, yeah and then i was sick after that yeah. non-overlapping illnesses and then i was traveling and then we've both just had a lot of stuff going on end of the six, semester yeah, yeah end of the semester so there's an increase in grading mm-hmm. and work to do and also you successfully defended your dissertation proposal which yeah. is very exciting yeah that was good i uh as always with those things so pretty you know pretty nervous ahead of time just because you never know but really went pretty smoothly, and uh, I was very happy with how that went. And I'm excited to start data collection, uh, hopefully by the end of this week or next week, uh, early next week. Yeah. yeah, and it's a project that is looking to better understand risk factors for suicide, which yeah. I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for the plug. But yeah, looking forward to that. Also looking forward to getting back to podcasting. What I'm finding in my experience, and I'm curious what you think about this, podcasting is not like riding a bicycle in that once you learn you never kind of forget because i feel like i don't know which way to even talk or what buttons to press to do this anymore and it's only been a month um that reminds me one day we will do our fraser episode when it when it turns out in fraser that you learn like they never learned how to ride a bike and so that that expression has always just been meaningless to (laughs) My favorite part, uh, if if you'll indulge me, a quick Fraser uh, Fraser check-in Fraser check-in of that episode is that Fraser runs into the same tree like six <laughs> times, and it's very funny. It is. It's good physical comedy. But I agree. I think that riding a bike after an extended period of time of not riding a bike is easier than mm-hmm. returning to podcasting. So all this is to say that we are excited to talk about Jessica Jones and to be back, but. We may be a little rusty, so you we're let us rusty. know. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting back but, into it. But we'll get back into it. And and today, um, you know, I'm I we love season one of Jessica Jones. We Loved have a few, po- at least one podcast episode about it, mm-hmm. and one blog post about a it, which we'll link to in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, so we'll link that into the show notes. And but the story continues, which I'm glad about because this series is my favorite of the marvel netflix series quick question Mm -hmm. if you have to rank all of your favorite fictional characters where does jessica jones fall on that list and i know that's an unfair question to put you on the spot so i understand that the answer may change after some reflection but just your gut reaction i don't know okay (laughs) that's that's, not a good answer i mean she's probably in the she's definitely in the top 20 and maybe in the top 10 Mm -hmm. but i'd really have to overthink it oh for sure (laughs) yeah she's such a cool character and i absolutely love i don't remember this being as prevalent in season one 
Um, just kind of talking about my kind of reactions to season two overall, which before I jump into that, actually, let's say spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. We're behind the mark for a while. Jessica Jones season two has been out for a while, but if you haven't seen it, spoilers. And just as a disclaimer, I've seen the whole season. Katie's seen the first three episodes, mm-hmm. so we'll be covering those today and kind of work through the rest. Um, there is so, a lot to cover in the first three episodes. Oh, for so sure. I thought it would be good to break it up a little and, bit. And if I can allude to the future, it really sure. takes off. Uh, so... It seems to really capture that sort of detective noir kind of vibe mm-hmm. that I don't remember being quite as prevalent in season one. And maybe I need to go back and rewatch it. But I really liked kind of the the jazz music and the dark rooms. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It, I, I really loved the atmosphere of this season a lot. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I think it's it's nice to see she's clearly grown in some ways, but there's a a nice continuity from what happened in season one. Yeah, and just to clarify, I'm pre- so this season takes place after the events of Defenders. That's I, I mm-hmm. presume to be the case because she's sort of coping now with being recognized as the superhero vigilante uh, type person, which is a title that she's not comfortable with at all, we find out right away in the very first episode, and is actually used against her, because there's a woman who asks her to kill someone, yeah. uh, which of course brings up a lot of Jessica's unresolved feelings, I think, or unprocessed feelings and reactions to killing Kilgrave, which uh, really goes back into all of the, the the real difficult things that she faced in season one, that she's still kind of processing emotionally, because of course... Kilgrave did all this horrible stuff to her and made her kill someone, but she really doesn't seem to be coping well with the fact that she killed him. So Yeah, she really seems torn. On one hand, she seems to really view herself as someone who really hurts other people, mm-hmm. including is someone who's a killer. But on the other hand, she really pushes back against that, and it seems like sometimes she accepts that there were extraordinary circumstances. Sometimes, literally, she was... It, didn't have control mm-hmm. over what she was doing. But you can see that conflict go on and she'll push it a little, but then she usually tries to distract herself or avoid mm-hmm. thinking about it because it's so painful. Mm-hmm. It seems like, her, and maybe you can help me if I'm remembering wrong, her avoidance is higher in this season so far, just relative to some of like the drinking and really trying to do anything she can to not think about what she's faced, probably thinking about the events of season one and Defenders, even in some way. Yeah, it's, she's definitely, I mean, it seems like in season one, she's so busy working and drinking and whatever all the time that she doesn't have much time for thinking. The pace seems a little bit slower Mm -hmm. in this season compared to that. The first one seemed like very, almost like a suspenseful thriller or something like that. And this one is still like that, but it seems to have a different pace. And there's enough time where she slows down and has conversations with Trish explicitly about how she's coping with with her symptoms, which is interesting because Trish knows her well enough. And so they're having... These conversations where Trish is kind of pushing her on her um, avoidance coping strategies. And so it's interesting to hear her. She'll talk about it for a little while and then kind of deflects either with sarcasm or changing the subject Mm -hmm. in some other type of way. Yeah, so just overall, you're enjoying the season so Mm -hmm. far, first few episodes. That's not surprising. I I think it's really good. Um, I can't, I think I liked this season maybe more than season one. it's possible that I'd have to rewatch season one to really concretely make those changes. But um, yeah, so should we start digging into some of the mental health stuff then? I think, yeah. um, you know, 
obviously the PTSD symptoms are still in full force for Jessica, unfortunately. Um, she's still experiencing, uh, I mean, she's experienced more trauma. So, of course, uh, if we want to just revisit uh, Jessica Jones as a character, I think the initial trauma that she experienced, of course, was the death of her family mm-hmm. um, in a car accident where, correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, her and her brother were fighting and kind of that caused the car to go out of control and, and crashed. And uh, she was the only one to survive. And she really holds a lot of guilt about that being her fault. And really, that is the kind of, I would say, the main traumatic event of several that she's experienced since then. Yeah, and and of course, uh, Kilgrave being mm-hmm. in that abusive relationship yeah. that involved a lot of mind control, literally mm-hmm. emotional abuse, um, having sex with her without her really mm-hmm. having consent because he's manipulating her mind and things like that. And so there are certainly traumatic aspects of that that she has flashbacks of. She has flashbacks and she also has nightmares related to both of those yeah. events. And you can see that in season one and in season two. The uh, the flashbacks... Um, Katie, let me ask you... I should have asked you this beforehand. I want to start hinting at stuff in the future episodes... Am I going to bother you too much with spoilers? No. Okay. I had enough time. I should have watched it all by now. So Jessica really starts to struggle through the season. And and I'm really excited to get to this part to just talk about it. Because the flashbacks become almost a full-on psychosis episode. Where she Hmm. is visually hallucinating Kilgrave all around her uh, many times. And uh, it was uh, just visually very uh, captivating to watch. But also, like, they did such a nice job. Um, demonstrating how incredibly distressing it is for Jessica. So things get worse before they get better for her this season. Yeah, poor Jessica. I mean, between losing her family, enduring a physically controlling, emotionally and sexually abusive relationship, um, and being exposed to more trauma kind of by nature of her job Mm -hmm. and also by, I mean, she is in repeatedly in dangerous Mm -hmm. situations because she is drunk to the point of blacking out Mm -hmm. and things like that. She really is she's been through so much Mm -hmm. and you really can see how much how i mean i think they get the depiction of how painful having these uh intrusive thoughts and flashbacks Mm -hmm. can be how disruptive it is and and how that really you can it drives her a big part of her reason for wanting to drink and Mm -hmm. trying to get some escape from that because it's so unpleasant um, you know, avoidance is another thing that we continue to see and is a, is a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is that she tries to not talk or think about what happened as much as possible. I mean, we see in this season that Trish tries to she ne- bring the ashes of her family, mm-hmm. which she never scattered or kind of had closing ritual to. Um, you actually see her crying about mm-hmm. that, which is not typical for, never, for yeah. seeing Jessica's motions um and other types of avoidance trish talks to her about you know drinking and having meaningless sex and uh and you see that in in episode two that there is a guy at the bar who she has sex with in the bathroom Mm -hmm. and um you know she seems to kind of do this in a way that's it seems to like be driven about like take me out of this moment or let me not think about this and and in that, you kind of start to see some of the other symptom of PTSD, which is negative changes to thoughts and mood, because 
while they're having sex, he he says you're a freak because he's um holding the she's holding the the wall of the bathroom yep. stall and it warps the metal, so he knows that she's really strong. And she's like, stop talking, like it's taking her out of whatever she's trying to escape. And then when he calls her a freak, like she's like, I'm done. And you can, and it kind of ties back, at least my interpretation, is her struggling identity as someone who is trying to be heroic in certain ways, but also views herself as a freak or something negative because she has these super abilities and she's caused harm to people. And so that really bothers her. Mm-hmm. And and she also has some blame, like, I, maybe I'm a freak, it's not my fault, though, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So um, we kind of, we see that. She certainly, in, in terms of her negative changes to thoughts and moods, she continues to view mostly herself, have self-blame for things that happen. She continues to question whether killing um, was really under her control, or was mm-hmm. it really Kilgrave? She keeps people at a distance. Trish is really the only person mm-hmm. she lets in. And Malcolm, who's so persistent. I have to say, I really like seeing him mm-hmm. in season two. He's no longer under the influence of Kilgrave. He's, he's, oh, he seems sober from mm-hmm. his substance use problems. And he's just a lovely person. Yeah. Just really loyal and kind of won't let Jessica push him away, but not in a way that's unhelpful to her. He has a very interesting character arc throughout this okay. whole season, actually. Yeah. I'll be so interested to see that. Yeah, it's fun because ultimately, in a lot of ways, the story of Jessica Jones isn't a story of recovery, unfortunately, um, for her. So it is interesting that we have this story of Malcolm, who did recover, and he was able to come past everything with Kilgrave, and he was able to you know, learn how to manage his addiction. So it is interesting to have that mirror. And he, I like that it it kind of rings true that he was a different person on substances than he is without. Mm-hmm. Like, he really, just seeing him early on in season one, you might have a certain impression mm-hmm. and stereotypes Absolutely. might come into your head about people who have substance use mm-hmm. problems. But in reality, you can see, like, he is someone who was suffering from mm-hmm. significant mental health and substance use problems, and he's actually just a great person mm-hmm. who was just really struggling with a Absolutely. lot of things. And you get to know who he is as a person once he's come through the other side, which mm-hmm. I think is really great. I have one more thing I want to say sure. too. Um, this is something that you'll see in a future episode. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the negative or the changes in kind of negative affect uh, that Jessica experiences, we haven't gotten to see a lot of Jessica before to kind of cha- see those changes in a lot of ways. She's, about the same between season one and two. Mm-hmm. But what's really cool about season two, and there's there's one episode that's almost entirely a flashback episode mm. of her and Trish, uh, when I would guess they're in their early 20s. So it's pre-Kilgrave time or a pre-Kilgrave era. And Jessica, it's interesting to see her because in a lot of ways she has a lot of her same uh, personality characteristics. She's, you know, cynical, sarcastic, but she's in a relationship with a young man. She's trying to go to school. So she doesn't have, uh, and she's just, uh, it doesn't have as much of the negative affect too. So what was cool for me about that episode, or maybe interesting is a better word, is it actually provides a really good baseline to really see uh, how much more Jessica is suffering and experiencing negative affect now Pri- compared to relative to uh, pre Kilgrave stuff, so that's it's a really cool point that I wanted to make sure I brought up just in case I forget about it uh, down the road as we get to those episodes. Yeah, I'll look forward to seeing that in season one. I when they show the flashback basically before 
And now I'm not talking about PTSD flashback, but kind of uh, TV oh, yes. show flashback. flashback right. Yeah, where they show her, bef- they show how she is before the accident when she loses yes. her family, and you do see that sarcasm mm-hmm. and kind of. I guess kind of a little bit like a, a twisted sense of humor or kind of dark interests and stuff like that. But you're right. It's not, it's not the same thing who you, you still see those traces of the personality, but it's not the same thing as suffering from a yeah. full blown mental health problem. Well, two in this case, alcohol dependence yes. and post-traumatic stress disorder, which are not uncommon comorbidities. Yeah. I, I really have to commend, um, uh, you know, um, Kristen Ritter, that's her mm-hmm. name, uh, as well as the writers of the show for being able to depict that. Because I think it's really subtle uh, in a lot of ways to have those those personality characteristics, characteristics uh, tracing throughout the character across life, but being able to have the suffering and not make it seem like a totally new character or make it seem forced. Yeah. I, I think it's really, really good, well done narratively. I agree. And, and also just kind of takes the idea that like we have personalities and that yeah. if someone has like a particular type of personality, it doesn't mean it's because something bad happened to them. It's right. just there's variation in personality. I like that too. And I, I think, you know, another thing that I'm thinking of is when Keith was on talking about depictions of substance use problems, you actually do see her hung over quite a bit, yeah. which you don't always see that when people are suffering right. from alcohol dependence. And so that's another interesting aspect of it. Um, she does have changes in her arousal and reactivity. She definitely has irritable mood. She has angry outbursts to the point where she seems like sometimes she can't control it when she's physically aggressive. She she beats up the guy who's in competition with her, basically, um, and goes to jail for it. I would say that her phys- or her uh, emotional or angry outbursts like that are actually worse in this season mm-hmm. because... Uh, she actually like looked like she had to hold herself back from maybe seriously hurting uh, that person yeah. when she was attacking him. And I don't remember that as much in season one. So it does seem like she's suffering some more, at least with that component. Yeah, yeah and where she does, she wants to stop. And then she's kind of like, uh, now I'm in jail and like, yeah. at, deals with it. So to recap, she can, she's Jessica Jones in season two is still exhibiting PTSD symptoms, specifically intrusive symptoms like mm-hmm. nightmares and flashbacks uh, of memories coming into her mind when she doesn't want them to be there. She continues to show avoidance of situations that remind her of traumatic events, including not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to think about it, not wanting to go to places mm-hmm. um, where her, that remind her of those events. She has negative changes to her thoughts and moods, and like we were just talking about, she has changes in her arousal and reactivity. In terms of her alcohol use dependence, she continues to exhibit symptoms of that. We've already talked about she spends a lot of time mm-hmm. drinking. She's. Uh, it seems like she may be trying to, I would speculate, um, that she maybe drinks more than she intends to. At least she she gets seems to people comment on her drinking too much, and she also seems to have strong cravings uh, for alcohol at, at different times, particularly when she's stressed out. Mm-hmm. So we'll again we'll link to the post, but but we're since we're going to talk a little bit about some treatment that she's going to get in a in a moment. Maybe we'll mention that there are evidence-based treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder, and there are some specifically for comorbid diagnoses of addiction-type problems Mm -hmm. or substance use problems and post-traumatic stress disorder, so well-established treatments 
for PTSD. Again, we'll link to these include things like cognitive processing therapy and prolonged exposure. And then in addition to that, with alcohol use disorder, there are different types of treatment. Motivational enhancement therapy is one of them that, that aims to strengthen the desired ability to decrease substance use. And seeking safety is a specific treatment that's research supported for individuals who struggle with comorbid PTSD and substance use issues. It focuses on teaching healthy coping strategies and skills to clients so they find safety in relationships, feelings, and thoughts. And maybe that might lead us into the next thing we wanted to talk about, which is the therapist trying to lead her into a safe place. Yeah, this is episode two or three. I don't remember, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, this was a character who Trish, he's referenced a little bit earlier on. He's going to be on Trish's show. And then we actually get to meet the, uh, the well-noted hypnotherapist, um, Dr. Turnbolt, something like that. Um, yeah, who meets with Jessica to try to repress some of these recover, or not try to recover some of these repressed memories, rather. So, um, folks who've watched the show, a main theme of what's happening right now is, uh, Jessica's missing some period of time uh, immediately after her accident, and presumably something happened during that period of time that led to her developing the powers that she has. And Trish is very interested and motivated in trying to figure out what happened during that period of time. Trish wants to figure that out so that she can kind of uh, stop the person who's doing this, help other people who are maybe experiencing something similar. It seems to be that certain people with powers are being attacked. So there's some some sort of conspiracy or mystery going on and kind of the, the idea is that maybe there's a clue or an answer in these memories that Jessica has lost and I forget it's some like months of time if I'm remembering right and so Jess or Trish rather uh, organizes this appointment with this hypnotherapist who goes in to uh, try to help Jess get into this very comfortable place to try to, you know, recover some of these memories. And he says, you know, a lot of people think of a beach. Well, as we find out, the beach is not a comfortable place for Jessica because she used to visit a beach with her family when she was younger, so that's not good for her. Uh, he makes a second suggestion, too, that I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head what it was. And then she kind of settles on, oh, how about this bar? Uh, they serve free hot dogs and they make pretty stiff drinks or something like that, she says. And uh, the session doesn't go on for much longer after that. And Jessica kind of says, you know what, this that's a pseudo-therapist. I'm not interested in any of this stuff. I've had bad luck with shrinks. And I think at one point she even says that to the the uh, hypnotherapist. says, well, I'm not trying to shrink anything. I'm trying to expand. And so it's a very interesting sort of depiction of... Uh, trying to recover repressed memories through hypnosis, I guess. Yeah, and it reminded me a little of Goodwill Hunting when he is court-ordered for anger problems to seek a therapist, and it reminded me of it in a couple ways. One is because the professor, the math professor who's interested, for anyone who hasn't seen Goodwill Hunting, he's kind of like um, a math genius, and this math professor is interested in him, so he's able to kind of, despite... The fact that Will has um, assaulted a police officer, he's able to get some probation on the terms that he'll do therapy and math. So, you know, that, just a typical, typical story. So anyway, um, the professor and the professor's TA go into every therapy session with him until he goes to see Sean, who's played by Robin Williams. But anyway, one of the early therapists is a hypnotist and um 
and Will is kind of laying on the couch, very similar to Jessica. Mm -hmm. And similarly, I thought it was weird that Trish was in the room. Mm -hmm. Now, the goal of the therapy isn't to, like, reduce the PTSD symptoms. It's like they basically want to solve a case, so they're trying to use this recovered memory technique, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But basically, Will is even, um, I guess less engaged and kind of like uh he makes up some memories and stuff like that whereas jessica's more kind of walks out and it does seem almost like it's because she starts to slip into something where she's Mm -hmm. thinking but she starts off with saying like can i have another pillow Mm. which is like you have seven pillows pillows, (laughs) exactly and so they're kind of similar scenes and so a couple things to mention one this is uh not the evidence-based treatment for ptsd or alcohol dependence this is this her motivation is not to improve mental health. That's something that a therapist would have to consider too. It is weird to have a friend there. I can imagine you doing that in some situations if they're more comfortable, mm-hmm. and it's possible Jessica might. For example, if I'm working with someone who had trauma, I might not have them come in to this session and have them lay down and shut their eyes. Like in the first session, that seems like something oh, they yeah. might not be comfortable with in light of Jessica's history. So yeah. even that, I'm kind of like, uh, no. You know we have to pick this apart because this is the whole basis of our show. Um, then the third thing is we see similar, this is the same thing that happens in Will Hunting, is when she doesn't feel comfortable with the process or says it's mm-hmm. not working, the therapist basically blames her. Like mm-hmm. she's being resistant and that's why it's not going to work. And it, there are some frameworks within therapy that focus on that. The more the way that Brandon and I are trained. Mm-hmm. Um, since I helped with training Brandon, that's yeah. probably why they're <laughs> they're similar. This makes but sense. is there a motivational interviewing framework where you it's you don't kind of blame the client for resistance. Rather, the therapist plays a role in trying to engage mm-hmm. the client, and especially in this case, and as was the case in Will Hunting, uh, Good Will Hunting, is if they're in the first session and they're not engaging, like that might be on you. Maybe you need to give a little more of an educational mm-hmm. overview, a rationale. You need to talk about some things. Now, of course, this is a fictional depiction, and they're just going right into the action, right. and it's more a part of the mystery. But um, you know, it's important that a therapist not dismiss it as blaming the client and, and rather looks at, you know, a client does have responsibilities and do their own things, but at the same time, it's a therapist's job to see how can I most effectively work with this person rather than kind of, I don't know, seem a little annoyed that the person <laughs> isn't going along with what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, but the more problematic thing that concerns me is that while there are some there are some valid uses of hypnosis related to for example chronic pain and things like that there mm-hmm. is an evidence base there which is not my main area at all but I'm aware of that kind yep. of thing in terms of trying to remember things through hypnosis that was actually identified by Scott Lilienfeld in an article called psychological treatments that cause harm and recovered memory t- techniques have, you know, I I guess, I mean, have been a, were previously a huge controversy in the mm-hmm. field. I mean, psychologist um, Elizabeth Loftus actually mm-hmm. did a lot of work trying to understand how memories work and trying to understand what damage could be done if you're putting someone to kind of a, suggest, a suggestive hypnotic state and trying to get them to remember things. So I'm 
going to just read from part of the article, but we'll link to it because this is a good article and it's worth reading because it, it covers all kinds of therapies that may cause harm. Mm-hmm. And you might be surprised by some of the things on the list. We've talked about this in other episodes too. So essentially at this time that this was written, the psychologist Lilienfeld said, although data from controlled studies are lacking, there's considerable evidence that suggestive therapeutic methods, such as repeated therapist prompting of memories, hypnosis, and guided imagery, all of which we saw in this episode can produce subjectively compelling but false memories in some individuals. So this is part of what concerns people and part of what Loftus really helped to figure out is that the person can feel like they're having their memory come back to them. And kind of Jessica says that she does have that happen, but they can be totally false memories. And and this has been demonstrated in some some clever way. So specifically, there are numerous reports of adult clients reporting histories of childhood sexual abuse, satanic ritual abuse, and even alien abductions for the first time following the introduction of recovered memory methods. The finding that recovered memory techniques can yield memories of alien abductions and even past life child abuse appears to provide, quote unquote, existence proof that at least some of the memories generated by these methods are false. Moreover, there's reason to believe that such memories can be deleterious, did I pronounce that right? I think so. To both clients and their family members. Data from recovered memory legal claims filed in Washington State revealed that suicidal ideation increased nearly sevenfold and that psychiatric hospitalizations increased over fivefold over the course of therapy. This is a serious concern with someone like Jessica who is already having struggles with mental Mm -hmm. health problems. Nonetheless, because these data derive from uncontrolled studies and unrepresentative samples marked by selection bias, for example, it it focuses on examples with legal involvement, the true degree of harm generated by recovered memory methods is difficult to estimate. Moreover, recovered memory cases have been associated with thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, of uncorroborated allegations against close family members. The question of whether certain recovered memories of trauma are genuine remains unsolved. So there may be times where people remember something from trauma. It's hard to measure. Mm -hmm. But what we know so far is that it's, it's at present, it's unclear whether recovered memory techniques unearth some genuine memories in addition to creating false ones. Nevertheless, there appears to be little disagreement that such techniques are associated with false memory production. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like a double name. But basically, there is agreement that um, among, there's consensus that these kind of techniques can be associated with false memory production, at least in some individuals. So there's the potential for harm. There are a lot of, there's a lot of con- context around that. But basically, the idea is if you take someone and put them in a state, um, trying to make them more suggestible and use memory and try to pull these types of memories you can't guarantee that it's like you're going back into like a recorded version of your history and mm-hmm. pulling it. Rather, sometimes people believe things that completely didn't happen or people believe things happened in a way that is documentably different than the way that it really happened. Once you talk some about this when Rob Gordon was on and we were mm-hmm. talking about myths about memory and basically it's not a video recording the no. way memory works. So anyway... Even though this is clearly fictional, it's part of the narrative, and it's an interesting part of the narrative, my concern is just kind of, do people see that and say, oh, okay, this is a valid way to mm-hmm. have memories brought back to me. 
My guess is yes, and that's mm-hmm. just purely based on my own kind of intuition and in kind of gut response. Because I think that like a lot of uh, specific psychological kind of things, repressed memories are kind of flashy. It's something yeah. that Hollywood grabs onto, I think. Um, in this kind of idea, like digging into the subconscious and let's figure out what's going on. And, and it's kind of narratively kind of interesting, but it's just, it's not scientifically, I mean, the, what we saw in the episode, it's just not there. Yeah. It could it, be harmful. No, exactly. And, and so to be clear, during trauma, people can forget oh, yeah. things and have, have parts of their memory. Now, most people remember details about their trauma but it is possible that some people don't remember them but the part that seems questionable as brandon is saying is the idea that you can bring back some pure Mm -hmm. memory through these types of techniques and in fact at least in some cases there have been newly created memories Mm -hmm. that don't seem to have any veracity at all and and that can be harmful because then you have um people accused of things Mm -hmm. that maybe didn't happen yep and what's particularly or could be particularly troublesome in this situation, particularly if this was all, you know, a real life example, is we've gotten, I think, our first hint that Jessica's experienced some suicidal ideation yeah. um, when they, uh, they being Jessica and Trish, are on this beach getting rid of Simpson's uh, body. Um, Jessica says, you know, I always thought about coming here. No one could find a body here. And... It's not explicitly laid out, but how I read that was that Jessica's considered dying by suicide, and and maybe that's the way that that where she would go to do that. Yeah, that's kind of how I read no, that. I I felt the same way. I mean, I felt like a possible interpretation was just com- like another unhealthy method, but like complete isolation from people right. and getting lost in that. But it did seem to me like she's specifically referencing they would never find a body out here, and so yeah, that alone. I mean, that's why this is. In Lillian Feld's article identifying harmful treatments, the idea that you already have someone who's suffering a lot mm-hmm. and that you could increase their risk for suicide with also memories that could have no basis in mm-hmm. reality. I mean, it's just, uh, you have to be really cautious about oh, yeah. that. And that's, that's not the front line. Now, she has had other treatment, which she references kind of in the first season where, you know, she she repeats street names and to kind of ground herself, but mm-hmm. it's not really clear what that treatment was. Mm-hmm. She's clearly very symptomatic still. Mm-hmm. She is pretty... She's motivated to feel better, but she's her avoidance seems mm-hmm. like pretty strong motivator mm-hmm. that she just wants to keep pushing along and doing yeah. whatever it needs, whatever she needs to do that mm-hmm. and uh, i think that's part of what's so painful and sympathetic about her character which is balanced out i think by some of the comedy of some of the funny things that she mm-hmm. says but i mean overall it's just really sad and that's why that scene when she's crying because the box of the ashes is it's basically destroyed is just you see a really vulnerable mm-hmm. state that jessica's in that we don't really see a lot. One of the most vulnerable, I would mm-hmm. say, of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that I can remember. No, I, I agree. Anything else we should say about the recovered memory hypnosis? I don't think so. I think you, you summed it up well. Maybe if we can just sum it up in a couple of quick take-home points. Like Katie mentioned, there there's some evidence for hypnosis being used in some other domains like pain management. Specifically when we're talking about the area of kind of this recovered memories related to trauma sort of stuff that's what we're talking about and we'll link the article hypnosis for that sort of stuff eh, there's some evidence that it could lead to harm so that's why 
Uh, you have to just uh, forgive us because that's, I mean, that's the point of the show is when we see the, the non-scientific uh, kind of depictions of things, we have to jump onto it. Um, my only last thing that... Because you're right, sorry, just no, to add on please. to that. I mean, that's, I think that even, I think even like students in my class when I was talking about dissociative identity disorder, that even though Split is clearly a fictional depiction of yeah. that, I mean, the movie clearly has sci-fi stuff, there were still pieces of information about that diagnosis that people had internalized that they thought was accurate. In response to that film specifically, I had a student ask me if individuals with dissociative identity disorder experience physiological changes uh, between the personalities. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, because that was one part of the movie mm -hmm. that for me and just kind of given my background training, I was like, oh, of course that, you know, someone's not going to grow yeah where they're the like inches. one has an allergy right. one has diabetes yeah and, and the, yeah and there are different heights and mm -hmm. almost i think if i'm remembering so to me it was so clear like oh yeah no one's gonna kind of take that part to be true but someone did no, and, they, they and it's understandable did. if you don't have the training or the background and you kind of buy in or get your information from the sources that makes sense mm -hmm. so that's why i mean it's important to sort of have someone doing the good work of parsing out <laughs> the fact from fiction, I guess. That's right. Oh, one last thing about mm -hmm. that scene. Um, maybe it's more relevant because of, there was kind of this hypnosis element and, and getting people comfortable, but they sure love to put the couches in the therapy scene yes, still, don't they? They that, really do. It's a huge do. part of it still is kind of this very old uh, psychodynamic stereotype of mm -hmm. what therapy looks like. And, and I don't know that will ever escape that. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's true. And, you know, obviously some people do that, but a lot of people don't. It's just right. more like two people in chairs working together collaboratively yeah, to yeah. help solve problems. So, so you're right. That's my last piece about that. Oh, it's, it's a good point because that is a recurring thing that we see. Okay, so we t reviewed PTSD and alcohol dependence symptoms. We talked about recovered memory techniques and hypnosis. The third main topic that we wanted to talk about is kind of, it's almost like a throwaway quote. Well, I wouldn't say it's a throwaway because we're not throwing away, but it's kind of not a major thing, but it stuck out to both of us mm -hmm. because the Jessica Jones Twitter account yeah. tweeted it out and we're like, what is that all about? Before we had watched the show. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, what is going on? So the quote is, with great power comes great mental illness. And the wizard is saying it in one of those videos yeah, that, that she finds on the computer. Tapes. Yeah. Weird line. Yes. When I saw it on the Twitter page, I think you shared it with me and I had just seen it because yeah. usually we seem to consume Twitter at a similar rate. <laughs> it's really helpful. Um, and I was just like, what? Yeah. I didn't get what it meant. And so I was looking forward to watching the show so I could kind of understand the context better. And I didn't really care or understand about it when I watched the show that much either. But there's a lot to unpack there. And yeah. I'm being a little dismissive, of course. Because I don't know how... Like, my gut reaction to it was a little bit negative. Yeah. I, I don't know. That that was my gut reaction to it. But kind of the... the so the wizard is sort of this tragic character yeah. who really needed some help. Yeah. Um, But also was very kind of speedy and seemed to undergo the same sort of process that Jessica did. He was at a party, jumped off uh, into shell of a pool, mm -hmm. and I think presumably had some sort of spinal injury, went to the hospital, and then before he knew it, he had this incredible speed. Mm -hmm. um, but he was a fear-based hero. That's how he described himself. When he's afraid, he can move very quickly. But the, he kind of described how this really hurt for him, and he was afraid he was going to die doing this. And then additionally, now there's someone out in the world killing super people. They call them supers in this mm -hmm. season, or people with superpowers or powers. So kind of a tragic character, because he asks Jessica for help a couple of times, and then she witnesses him die. And 
she doesn't uh, uh, the new uh superintendent uh, that's not what they're called like kind of like the manager of yeah. the building uh kind of accuses her of you know she you know this person was involved in you and so i think she maybe has some guilt about that yeah and she thinks she well she's picky about who she'll work with anyway yeah. but it almost seems like she has some prejudice about him having a mental health problem or yeah, schizophrenia mm-hmm. or something and he is exhibiting some odd behavior um and then she like finds out oh but this he's it's not hallucinations and delusions like he's really actually experiencing this mm-hmm. some of the same stuff as me and so uh yeah i agree i think that's where some of the guilt comes from is that she she's someone who could not be believed for the strange things that happened mm-hmm. to her and she kind of did that to someone else although it's understandable again she's kind of in a protective state because she's mm-hmm. she's been through so much so yeah so the the quote i i guess one thing i mean so is this do you think this is intentionally supposed to reference like the spider-man line with great yeah. power comes great responsibility i think so um if not that that is quite an amazing coincidence <laughs> but no i think that was a specifically meant to be a play on that which i don't know I guess. I don't, I don't <laughs> well, have... It's, it's, you know, it's appropriate for a Jessica Jones version of that line because it's like... That's true. It's like the Spider-Man interpretation is basically like, I'm going to step up and take responsibility with this great power from this accident that happened, and I'm going to take it seriously. And then, like, when the wizard says it, it's more like, all of my suffering and distress is because I have this great power. Mm-hmm. And so... In isolation, I I found it off-putting just because I'm concerned about stigma and mental mm-hmm. health stuff. However, once I viewed, once I saw it, I did tend to view it as a way of him expressing, like it's not as great as you think it might be to have superpowers. It's actually really destroyed a lot of my mental health, and then I felt more sympathetic about it. Yeah, that reframe makes me see it a lot in a, in a more positive way. I don't know if sure. that's the right interpretation, no. <laughs> but that's just, I don't know, maybe because I felt so much sympathy for him that that's how I took it. He was a tragic character, for yeah. sure. And I, I actually think I really like that. So, just like you said, I'm just going to say it again so I can process it once more. In Superman, or Spider-Man, rather, the story is, you know, I've got these powers, I'm going to step up and be a hero and whatever. But you're right, that's not really the story of Jessica Jones. It's that I've got these powers and all this horrible stuff has happened to me and I can't really deal with it. Yeah, I like that a lot. She has a responsibility, but she suffers for it because it's like she wants to do good, but she's also trying to manage all the negative things that happen to her. And she's completely taken advantage of by people because of her powers, Mm -hmm. you know. It's really sad. It is really sad. Um, like the story of people struggling with mental illness often is, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So that therein kind of lies my, if I can uh, explain similar to you, my, my initial being off put by that quote yeah. was related to that because I think it's important that we don't further stigmatize people who are struggling with mental health problems. And that's all what I kind of felt like, especially when it, it, I just saw the Jessica Jones official Twitter page tweeted out with no context. And I was yeah. like, what in the hell is No, I still don't like that because I, it also could suggest something like people who are in great power all have mental illness. And I think that's a, well, it's a misconception. Often mm-hmm. people who are in power have a lot of resources and good self-esteem and things Mm -hmm. are intact and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think the context 
matters. I don't think oh, that's like sure. a directly correlational relationship or something like that if yeah. it's taken literally. I mean, I, I, it only makes sense if it, it is just an expression of like, I am suffering because I'm struggling with this power that I have. But I also have all this other stuff, like he has to take all these medicines and right. like, you know, all this. Well, they had things done to them that yeah. they didn't consent to, you mm-hmm. know, medically. And they aren't even sure what it was exactly. or what happened. All they know is that they're presumably all should have had some life-altering uh, injury or death and, yeah. and they're alive but with powers. Yeah, so that's a lot. That's also a lot different than the way that Spider-Man got his powers, yeah. too. So, I mean, I think that's part of kind of the 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 generation of their powers comes from different pathways and that mm-hmm. might influence it as well. I mean, they're, they're all starting in trauma, being taken advantage of while they're in a vulnerable state that they don't really remember. And then they have these things they don't really understand. Yeah, sure. That's really a different kind of situation. Whereas Spider-Man is like pretty stoked. Yeah. <laughs> you can Spider-Man like do cool stuff. Yeah, like pretty but- exciting stuff for him. Spider-Man should be in the same town as these people. That's still something yeah. that I get caught up on with the, this mm-hmm. universe intersection. Oh, that's true. Well, anything else about that, Sam? No, I don't think so. So I thought maybe in conclu- in conclusion, were there any, like, just, like, one or two lines that stood out to you? I highlighted a couple I was thinking of, but I didn't know if you had any that yeah, don't, like, I, threads that don't fit in with our main well, themes. Well, this fits in a little bit with the main theme, I think. Okay. But this really... I. I remember it specifically this line when I first watched the season, which was a while ago now, but it really did stand out to me. It's in the first episode. Jessica says, you're making it hard for me to move past shit. And Trish says, well, maybe you can't move past it without facing it. And that made me think a little bit just about the therapeutic process and how, you know, that, I mean, that's in a lot of ways how exposure works is you have to, you have to face some of this trauma and engage with some of those negative emotions to process them and not experience them. And I thought that was a really profound line, and I, and I really like, I took that away in my mind. Like that's something I might say to someone at some point. Like, yeah, like this sucks, but if you're gonna move past it, you might have to deal with it. And and it it acknowledges, uh, you know how hard of work therapy can yeah. be too. I think, which I know that line wasn't said expressly in regards to therapy, but I think it captures the spirit of it. Yeah, that's and that's the truth about therapy. I think sometimes there's a misconception that going to therapy is about making yourself feel better or being handheld kind of until you comfort yourself. And it's like, no, it's actually like, it's supposed to be in the context of support, but you're facing really painful Mm -hmm. things to move forward. It's not, it's not about like being coddled or anything. It's, it's completely the opposite of that. Um, you know, again, it's in a safe and supportive environment. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be and and it should be, but that's, also means facing things that are difficult. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I think what I took note of was um, Jessica's response to that, which stood out to me. And so, so what she says is um, basically, I remember it, but I want to say exactly what she says. So let me, if I can highlight it. Um, Talk amongst yourselves, (laughs) listeners. Okay. So then she, she says, uh, I, I'll spend the rest of my life Jessica says, I'll spend the rest of my life trying to forget it. Don't make me cut you out of my life trying to do that to Trish. And so it kind of shows the extent of her avoidance that she'll cut off really pretty much her only close, meaningful relationship. I mean, she does have some rapport with Malcolm and stuff like that. But um, if she's going to force her to kind of face Mm -hmm. 
up to these things. So that stood out to me. Anything else that that kind of caught your attention? No, that was really it. I'm excited. Uh, There's there's one really interesting twist that's kind of a game changer for this season. I'm excited for you to get to. Uh, I think we'll have a lot to talk about when we get to that. And I think there's still a lot more to come. Uh, Malcolm, Trish, and Jessica all have really kind of interesting and divergent storylines in this season in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to keep really following those three characters um, and learn about more about what's going to happen to them. That sounds very good. I have one other one-off sure, thing. Please. In episode two, when Jessica goes to Dr. Kozlov's house, they show a flashback to the gathering after a family's funeral. And, and Trish's mom is there basically telling Jessica like a normal person would cry because she's not Mm -hmm. crying. And she's like, at least dab your eyes with the Mm -hmm. tissue. Like basically telling her to pretend to cry. And I just wanted to say that people respond to grief and trauma differently. And it's very, that's an okay response. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, she was probably in shock. Mm -hmm. I mean, she lost her family. She's blaming herself. She's now in the care of this woman who is, not a nice person. I mean, she's One of the worst reducing of the an eating disorder series, yeah. and Trish among many, many other problems. And it's, but it sends, a, it shows just even from the beginning, this invalidating, unsupportive environment, like telling her, like, not just like, you know, she's not like, are you feeling numb or what's going on with you? She's like, basically like, you're making me look bad mm-hmm. or you're making yourself look weird. So you need to kind of make your emotions look a certain way. And mm-hmm. so I, that was another, I already feel a lot of compassion for Jessica, but that was another thing that I did that I I think is so hard. It's hard enough to deal with the trauma, but then have people looking at you and seeing how you're acting and have someone criticize you. I think that's just awful. So in conclusion, I really liked the first three episodes. I'm excited to watch the rest. I imagine we'll probably have one or two more podcast episodes about this series. There's There's a lot there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that sounds good. Well, we're so happy to be back. We're so happy to have people listening uh, to us talk about this interesting and nerdy content again. And uh, we'll, we're going to do our very best to get back on a normal schedule from here on out. So thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we should be back next week. That's right. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.